one of India's favorite uh, retail stores, our favorite as we've grown up and, and, and the country's favorite store. And we're very excited to be talking to you because Fab India to us is India and it has uh, defined in many ways our shopping experiences. And for most of us uh, today, I am wearing Fab India, but you will not be able to see uh, in this uh, Zoom call. And we're very excited to be talking to you because what you built is a phenomenal story. What you built is a phenomenal brand for this country. But what we want to ask you, William, today is that uh, it is a tough time for India, it is the tough time for the world, but more so in your space, in your sector, retail has been badly, very, very badly hit. Uh, what has it meant for you? What has it meant for Fab India, Organic India, and what does it mean uh, for the sector? You know, so um, I think, Shada, what you said is that it's hit everybody across the world. I mean, I think this is the first event where everybody feels it. I don't think there's ever been an event in, in, our, in human history where everybody has felt the same event. When 9-11 happened, the people of New York felt it much more than people in other places. When other events happened, tragedies happened, you felt it in one part of the world. But this has been an event that everybody, every business person, every entrepreneur, everybody has a direct experience of what happened. And you know, some industries, as you said, have been really badly hit. Retail is one of them. And retail is, you know, I think that the lesson from, for us all is that you can take nothing for granted. And uh, you have to be very, at this time, for entrepreneurs like us and for, you know, people across practically every industry, you have to be super alert to the changing needs of customers, what's happening. And I think there are a couple of very, very clear mega trends that are emerging in this. Um, and, and I think it's uh, those who are not going to be hyper vigilant and sensitive to what's changing are risk, you know, losing whatever they've created. And it's a terrible moment. I've had friends uh, lose businesses that they've taken 20, 25, 30 years to build. And you don't feel, you know, you feel such a sense of loss for them, you know, to see that something that they have built, they've spent their life on. Somebody was telling me recently, they said, you know, I've spent a whole my life work on this and I've seen it disappear in front of my very eyes. And I think those, those, those things are very tragic and very moving. And they're also a reminder to all the other entrepreneurs that, look, this is a very, very powerful moment of change. And you've got to understand it if you're going to survive it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, William, uh, for you, uh, uh, you know, uh, the you know the lockdown meant complete shutdown right like the fab india stores uh were shut down and at least now today i saw uh, while i was crossing that fab india here in bangalore in uh, uh indranagar is open what has this lockdown meant for your business in particular you know uh, when the store shut down it happened as you as you're all aware with very little warning so it took, I think the first two weeks was just getting over the shock of understanding what had happened and what this landscape was going to look like. Then we were quick to see that, okay, the governments have allowed selling of essential food hygiene products. So we had a small, a small food business and a small hygiene uh, products business. And of course, Organic India, which is food and uh, supplements for health. So we quickly ramped those up. And, you know, I must say, this is where teamwork and this is where you know where you feel that collaboration work 
you know, our teams in, in UP were able to work with the government. The state government was incredibly supportive and helpful. We were able to get the factory up and running very quickly. And, you know, because it was producing food and uh, supplement, in Fabinia, we ramped up the sale of uh, food and products. And, you know, so that was the first, now after the first two weeks, you know, we were able to, to do that. And, you know, food, which had traditionally been in hygiene products, 2% or 3% of our business grew to be about 15 to 20%. Uh, of, of our business. And um, I think the other thing that uh, almost every entrepreneur had to do, Shraddha, was conserve cash. And, you know, when you apply the brakes, imagine you're driving down the road at 80 kilometers and you hit the brakes. I told someone, I said, it's never going to be an easy thing. A yeah. car traveling at 80 where you jam, I was once in a car where someone had to jam on the brakes and it was horrible. Everybody was thrown around. And, um, and that's what we had to do with cash. Every entrepreneur had to just step on the brake as hard as they could. And the problem is that that sends the car spinning. I mean, it's never anything when you're going quite fast and, and you have to, I mean, I have had friends whose businesses were reliant on investor funding and, you know, some of them, some of their investors gave them a round of funding and some didn't. And those who didn't are facing a, a horrible choice today. Some, some investors did do follow-on rounds in, in, in the period immediately after. But, you know, all said and done, the, the, sudden, the, the sudden lack of cash in the system, and this was not only in India, it's a global phenomenon. And, you know, I think that there the RBI really helped out by trying to push banks to lend to businesses to help them stay afloat. But in spite of that, you know, it's been an incredibly challenging time. So our first reaction was to, in, during the first two weeks, all we did was try to conserve cash. So we were able to, fortunately, we got a lot of support from our bankers. Uh, they helped us out. We, you know, we, we put a war chest together because we estimated that we would need cash for till at least December. And I think in hindsight, that was a good move. And mm -hmm. for entrepreneurs who, you know, we, are, we have small groups that we talk amongst each other, you know, I think I was one of the few people who was saying that, look, uh, make sure you can collect as much cash now as you can, because you don't know where the next, you know, when the cash cycle is going to begin. Yeah. But the good news is it is beginning and you can see green shoots coming up all over in the economy. And I think that's a really positive sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, William, you are a very, and, and I know you, and you are a very strong supporter of artisans, rural uh, Indian micro entrepreneurs if i may say so and 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 fab india is a story where you've supported so many artisans uh, from across the country but in the last two years what did it mean for your 60000 plus artisans and workforce you know it's been a heartbreaking time for them i mean there's no you know because as you said when you hit the brake suddenly um, everybody in the car gets thrown and in fact the the lower you are in the economic pyramid, the more, the harder the effects that were felt. And, you know, it, it's been just, I mean, they have, there've been some amazing stories of people who really gone out and helped. Um, we realized that the best thing we could do to help was to try to clear all invoices as quickly as possible. And, you know, it's taken us, in, in spite of that, it's taken us some time, but, you know, we've been working with the banks to, you know, to do that, to keep the cycle, the, the cash cycle going, because once that dries up for artisans, it's very hard. We have one advantage over businesses that are set up in the cities. There's been a large um, departure of migrant labor from cities to back to their homes. 
we are operating most, many of our production centers are where um, some of the poorest of the, in the country live. So in many of those places in rural districts, they have actually seen people come back, trained people come back from the city. So our next, you know, our next goal is to quickly try to, to ramp up the number of workers we have. And I mean, some colleagues have, you know, worked out some amazing designs. We're doing these face masks, you know, we're doing close to now 40,000 units a day. So the idea was to quickly ramp up and see ways in which we could generate employment because there is a lot of people that need to be employed today. And yeah. today I would say to every entrepreneur in manufacturing or in any field where try to employ as many people as you can, because that is the need of the hour. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, also, I know that you're very passionate and I hear from people who are close to you, who work with you, that you're very passionate about people who work with you, your employees, your team. Uh, tell us, you would have celebrated your anniversary this year. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm not 60 years old, but the company is 60 years old. The company is 60 years old. And, and, you know, I think when you look back and see how short-lived the lives of most companies are, I think there's something to celebrate in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I want to understand that through this pandemic, and of course, it's a change across the world for retailers, for brands, uh, how they will behave in the post-COVID world. What are some of the measures? What are some of the steps that you are taking? What are some of your learnings from this pandemic? I think the nature of our world will be different even if a vaccine is discovered or a cure is discovered and i'm hoping that one will be discovered but even if it is discovered the the consumer is shifting and has shifted so it's like you go to the railway station after the train has pulled out you know you've missed the train so i say to people try to go to the next station to catch the train because if you go to the old station you'll have missed it so um and i think the next station for retail is going to be that that Retail will, will profoundly shift. Some of it will shift onto e-commerce um, and the marketplaces are very well positioned to take the benefit of that. I think there are going to be some very innovative platforms emerging. What Geo is doing with small Kirana stores is a very innovative attempt to, to build a, a collaboration. I think another um, will be to, to look at the idea of community-based retail I think this is an early concept, but I think it's one way you create a community. And this works especially for retailers that have a philosophy and an ideology. Because if you have no philosophy and ideology, then it's very hard to create a community. Because these are people who come to you because they believe in, in your business philosophy and what you do and why you do it, rather than, you know, it's a famous Simon Sinek line that's gone viral in this time. Everybody send me that link. You know, it's like the why. Why do you do it? So I think if you, if you are a business or a retailer, that has a strong purpose behind your business, then I think you can create a community around that purpose. And those communities kind of become like the business uh, and its community becomes a way of sustaining itself for the future. These are radical concepts. Um, you know, I saw some really interesting in the last two, three months, I've seen some amazing websites, some amazing efforts of what people are doing. For example, in India, there's an organization called Rangde and Rangde is doing some incredible work with artists. Yeah so many organizations uh, that are reaching out um, you know, to artisans to work on platforms. So I think that that's gonna be one very positive outcome of this. I mean, if it can be said. Another thing will be that uh, 
I think the customer of tomorrow, the post-COVID customer, is going to ask for a different kind of relationship to consumption. I think that a lot of people, I have met a lot of people who said, you know, I was consuming so much. I was barely you know, aware of what I was doing. I was on a treadmill. The last three months, I've really decided to change my life. I think when millions of people, especially in the middle class, decide to change their lives, it is going to lead to a radically changed consumption landscape. And I think it's going to be important for entrepreneurs to understand where that's going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, William, you know, you uh, uh, mentioned a very important point that amidst all <laughs> brands, businesses that have purpose, that have clearly defined purpose, are going to, you know, are going to be able to navigate, right? Like whatever uh, comes uh, their way. I want to understand, and, 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 and I'm asking you because values are very important for you. Uh, what are some of the values that have embodied Fab India and what are some of the values that you think will be crucial as Fab India navigates uh, this time? So, Yubana, I think get two types of, of businesses that emerge from this. One is going to be a business which is, treats products and services like a commodity. And they, that's where marketplaces and all will, will do really well. The other is going to be a business, businesses that are built around some kind of purpose. Now, it could be like there's this really interesting company I came across called Heads Up for Tales, run by a couple who are amazing entrepreneurs. You know, I mean, they're, they're the kind of people you should be featuring. They're passionate about dogs yeah. and all kinds of but really. And, you know, for and I noticed that when you have that kind of a passion and you build a business around a passion, you create a community that, that actually supports you. So, you know, the, the community, the community goes out and supports you. And and they have seen not the kind of drop in their business that other businesses have seen. And then, Shraddha, you know, I looked at business after business. You look at the passion business, sales dropped 20, 30%. You look at the business that was just made to make money or you look after investor valuations, sales dropped 80%, 90%, 70%. So, you know, the customer also, somewhere in their heart, they see that this is a business that's connected to purpose and therefore has value. Yeah. And this is a business that's just set up to, you know, I mean, I remember... Uh, a year and a half ago, I, I had some really brilliant guys come with a pitch deck and, you know, they, they were really perfect. They had all the right, you know, they've been to all the right business schools. They've done all the right things. And, and I kept asking them what the passion and purpose of their business was. And they kept saying, you know, we do a series A, then a pre-series A, then we do a series B, then we raise this and we do this and we have a compulsory convertible and an optionally convertible and we do this. And, and I realized that they had no interest in the business. They just thought they were just so you know, excited about the idea of making money. And they all thought of themselves, you know, and, and, you know, all these terms, these tools, you know, all these boarding tools, you know, you do different rounds and you have convertibles of different kinds and you have drag along, tag along, kick in, kick out, all these options. So they had drawn up and it was perfect. I mean, it was an, it was an engineer's dream, the business, but at the end of it, it had no purpose. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, and they were, and so I think that, there is a time today when people who build something around passion and purpose, they're going to see that the customers respond to it differently. Yeah. You know, Fab India started in uh, the 1960s, right? And, and, and then your father started it. And what has been amazing, and I've told you this when we've met many a times, and, and I'm just 
one person and there'll be millions who will agree with me when I say this, that, you know, we all grew up, went to college, Fab India stayed with us and today Fab India stays with us. There is something consistent, there is something purposeful, there is something Indian about Fab India and that has not changed with time. Of course, I will tell you, which I tell you off the camera, that prices increase. But, you know, the consistency, consistency, the brand love uh, and, and the Indianness of Fab India has not changed. And how do you get to that year after year over so many years? How do you do that? How do you manage to do that? I think that's where, you know, having an ideal comes in. If you, if you believe in something, you might not get it right. You might not even get to 100%. Um, as Manish Sabarwal told me once, uh, he said, don't let good ever be the enemy of great. And so we, if we get to good and we keep at it day after day, year after year, I mean, that's you know, something to be take pride in, you know, that you do your business, you do it well, you run an ethical company, try your best to work in a way that causes, you know, positive outcomes to happen for people. For yeah. everybody. You don't always get it right. You make mistakes. Sometimes you fail in some things. But the important thing is to, to be aware of it. I mean, we, you know, like this COVID has taught us, taught me that, that real value resides in the heart of people, both in the heart of your customer and in the heart of your employee. And if they sense a genuine belief, like some of our people have been through really difficult times. Yeah our customers, our employees. I mean, people have really, really seen a lot of suffering. I had a friend of mine recently who said, you know, I, he called me from the airport and he was leaving and he had said goodbye to his mother because he had to go to the US where his family was and he had some pressing need. And his mother, he left her alone here. And he said, I don't know when I'll see her. I don't know if I'll see her. You know, the kind of personal tragedies people have had to go through because of this. And, you know, as, as a business, I think it's at times like this that, you must actually try to understand where people are in, in their hearts. And if you can reach out, like one of the things that we're going to try to do is build a new kind of retail model coming out of this, which is, um, what, which is what I call the human needs platform. And I was telling somebody about it and they said, oh, it's a marketplace. I said, no, it's not a marketplace. It's a human needs platform. It's something that is going to really be address very powerful human needs and create a community. And so that's my learning from this COVID. The, the business will have to move. It'll have to be different. And I think if we can pull that off, we've probably got another 20, 30 years ahead of us of, you know, a good future. Yeah. But uh, I'm also mindful of the fact that in today's day and age, businesses last for five years, seven years. I see brands that were hot three years ago that have disappeared today. So it's a humbling experience to see that. Yeah, yeah, you know, but uh, William, again, I'm saying on behalf of millions of Indians uh, that Fab India remains in our hearts and, and, and I'm just saying it uh, very neutrally, not as, of course, I've, offline I would be a fan, fan person of Fab India, but online I would say very neutrally that Fab India has got it right, it is part of India and middle class India in so many ways. I want to pick up on what you said, human needs platform. You know, I think with Organic India, which is, again, a step that you take took with Fab India, I think you're catering to a very essential human needs with Organic India because, you know, as an essential, I also got from my Kirana shop, shop, they were storing Organic India. Tell me, how are you seeing the response to Organic India? 
Well, you know, I'll give you a really personal example of human needs. The first time I met you, Shraddha, you said to me, and I'll never forget, <laughs> I like your brand, but you don't have a loyalty program. Yeah. You, don't, you don't look after loyal customers like me. You said that exact thing. <laughs> Today, I mean, you were, I think, one of the main people who pushed us to get a loyalty program. Today, we have a loyalty program with close to 4 million members. Wow. So, you know, I want to say that, that I don't know if you remember that conversation. You have so many conversations. You'd met me for the first time. You said, you need a loyalty program. You need to recognize people like me. You said those exact words to me. I can remember them. I think that to go back to human needs again, when we, um, you know, Organic India was formed by uh, a couple who actually came to India in search of uh, spiritual, you know, they, they came to India drawn by its spiritual tradition. And, um, and they came in and, and they lived here. And, and when I met them for the first time, I realized that this was a business created based, built on a real passion and a true commitment. It wasn't just built to, it was really built to help the farmers and to, to create a new kind of agriculture, to support the earth. And um, I think that was very attractive. At that time, you know, I had to look up the word for organic. It's, in Hindi, it's called Jaivik. And when I told people about it, the first thing everybody did was they raised their eyebrows and they were like, nobody in India. They said, people, listen, India, people in India are going to buy value. They're not going to buy, they're not going to, they're going to buy value. They don't care about all these terms and all that. So this was about 15 years ago. And so 15 years ago, I heard this from a lot of people. And I think that, again, it's when you stay, when you stick to what you believe in, it will eventually resonate in the world. I mean, today, everybody's been talking about organic or the move to organic you know, the health of the planet, you know, and so I think that each of these things has to, I think successful businesses are born out of a deep connection to purpose and passion. And I think if you have those two things, and that's what I see, you know, when, when you bring entrepreneurs onto your story, I often see you can hear the passion come across and that's very exciting. And that's why I think people really like listening to the stories. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted to understand that, you know, has this also, are there going to be significant changes that we are going to see in Fab India, you know, when we go to the retail store, are there some new uh, things, new processes that you put in place in the stores? So our first goal has been to make the retail experience as safe as possible. Hmm. Both our employees who work in the stores and people who visit the stores. And I think that we have some amazing scientists, both in the company, uh, both who work in Fab India and who work in Organic India, who really contributed to that process. I think the second thing will be to see what the landscape is going to be and to really listen to our consumers. So one of the things we are, we are doing is we're launching, we're upgrading our website into something called the human needs platform. Mm -hmm. And that process, I think, will, will happen over the next six to nine months. And as a member of our loyalty program, you'll be the first to find out about it. And I think it'll be interesting for to get feedback from people who are members of what they like, what they don't like, what they think can be changed. I do think that that is true. I think that the, you know, my advice to retailers is that people and human needs are not going to change. People still need to meet people. They still need to go to a movie theater. They will still need to go to a restaurant. That might not happen for the next six to nine months. Hmm. I mean, it will definitely happen. It's just that one will have to be patient. And in the meantime, think of new ways to reach your customers. I've seen some amazing things done by, by restaurant chains, by 
I mean, I, I've seen some great initiatives. Um, and, and that's what makes this period, that's what gives me hope for the future also. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also want to understand and bring this out, uh, William, because there are a lot of layoffs happening, especially in the startup world, not especially in the startup world. I think it's cuts across all the different uh, uh, sectors and, 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 and that's a massive amount of layoffs, uh, salary cuts that are happening. And I know how, how closely you think about people who work in your uh, company and, and in your team. How, how, what are some of the things that you're doing? And I also think that you have some, some very interesting ESOP plan in place, right, in Fab India? Yes, I think that sadly, you know, across industry, I think if companies are half the size in sales, they will need you know, fewer people. Hmm. And I think many companies will emerge from this half the size of half their previous size. So, you know, there is going to be that pain. And I think that maybe um, if you've got a few minutes, there are some solutions that, you know, if, if there are a few changes in corporate law, they can help come up with some solutions to, you know, to help entrepreneurs raise capital more easily and ramp up, you know, bootstrap, scale up whatever businesses they have, because if they can scale up the businesses, they will also generate a lot of employment. Yeah. I think one of the things that we've been consistently proud about for the last 20, actually I realize it's now 21 years old is our ESOP plan. Mm. We've had it for 21 years. And, uh, you know, over the years, um, we've created about, you know, close to a, a thousand crores of an employee wealth. Um, and that's something we're very proud about because it's a program that began in 1999 and we've followed it. Um, I think it's important at a time like this that um, businesses look at, you know, helping their employees, you know, in whatever way they can. And for us, for our, especially for our management, we've had the Seesaw plan. It's, it's worked well. Um, I think it's important to build the long-term connect in value and it's, you know, it's shown in the sense that when people have made sacrifices, they've done it um, in a collaborative spirit with the company, knowing that the future of the company is very important. And knowing, and as a stakeholder, when you have a stake in something, your vision of it changes. And this is what I always tell people in business that, you know, if someone is, if, if someone is an employee, they have one relationship with you the day you make them a shareholder, they have a very different relationship. Yes, they might ask some difficult questions. Yes, they might, which is fine. But if you, you know, have a reasonably transparent and open business, they will think about the business very differently. They will think about the opportunities. They will think about how to cut costs. They will think about, you know, and they will see their role very differently. They will see themselves as an owner. And that changes their whole contribution in a business. And I'm a great believer in it. And I, my only thing is I hope governments make it easier for people to, to own ESOPs because government policy can make it really easy or really difficult. And, you know, this is one thing that I always feel that if government policy makes it easier, then it'll lead to much more ownership among, you know, people who help build great companies. You know, but William, I have to congratulate you on that, that you did it like 21 years back. In startup world, ESOP is a big, you know, big, big news and it seems like a new thing, uh, but it seems like a new thing driven by the tech companies, the tech young companies coming, but you've done that in fact, India is phenomenal. So 
yeah. Uh, you know, I also wanted to ask you about the alternative corporate models that uh, today entrepreneurs can adopt because it is tough time and money is not easily available. What are some of the things that you think that can be done and what are some of the opportunities? So, you know, uh, Shraddha, it's, it's interesting that people keep using the example of Europe with India. And I don't think that's correct because in Europe, in many European countries and in America, there have been assistance given to businesses. They, you know, their payrolls have been taken care of, payrolls have been paid for businesses and all that. And I always, you know, when, when typically entrepreneurs get together, they say, oh, why can't we have the German model or the, the French model or the American model where, and I always say, look, you know, the first priority here is to look after those who are really, who need the most help. You know, so I think what the government has done with the government's funds have been really a very powerful safety net they have put in. And that safety net will, will help the poorest of the poor. And that is the role of government. I said as entrepreneurs, our role is to, you know, look for other places of capital. Don't go to the government looking for capital. Okay, if they can help you out with some better terms with the RBI, you know, instructing banks to lend more liberally, that's one thing. But you must, you know, look at other models to raise capital. And here, I think a small change in government policy can, can lead to a big change in, in the landscape for, you know, corporates in India, especially, especially medium and large, small, medium and large corporates, because there is a tremendous amount of money available globally. And that money now really wants to come to India because it sees India as a safe, secure partner. I mean, both for European companies and for, you know, for American companies. And the perception of India is that it is going to be, you know, a really good long-term bet. But I think if there are some changes, you know, some changes to the rules, let me give you, can I digress for two minutes? Yes, please. Let me give you, you know, so the Brits invented the limited liability company. And it was a great invention because it basically protected the shareholders' assets. If the company failed, the creditors could only come up, come to the company's assets, not the shareholders' assets. Since then, you know, as big as that invention, the, create, the invention of the company, there have been two equally important inventions. And if those, if those inventions are brought into Indian company law, I think two to three trillion dollars would flow to Indian businesses in the next year or two. And that will be far more assistance than any government can ever make. And it'll also create a massive employment opportunity because entrepreneurs will do what entrepreneurs do best, which is to create jobs, create opportunities. They will go out there and they will do that and they will provide massive employment. And the two changes are really, I'm a great believer in differential voting rights shares. Most, if you notice, most of the companies in the US today, especially in tech, but in almost any field, have two classes of shares. Now, I have always I've been a great believer that the best entrepreneurs in the world come from India. You know, you know, like the best dates come from the Middle East, the best, the best entrepreneurs come from India. And I think if, if those entrepreneurs can get capital, you know, you look at, you look at what Sachin and Vinny Bansal built, you look at what Kunal Bell built, you look at what they were great entrepreneurs. They are great entrepreneurs, but they weren't able to raise unlimited amounts of capital. And one of these entrepreneurs who's a friend of yours and a friend of mine told me, he said, you know, we go to battle as entrepreneurs with bows and arrows. They come to us with hobbitzers. <laughs> and so he says, you know, we can be a very good marksman and we can shoot bows and arrows, but they will come. And he was referring to capital because today a lot of companies with 
differential voting rights shares have access to unlimited capital. And the thing is, the, every time an entrepreneur in India has to raise capital through you know, bringing in investors, they get diluted. So eventually you start off by owning 80% of the company, you end up by owning 6% of the company, in which point you're really spending all your time you know, looking after investors. And, you, so, and then there are a lot of entrepreneurs like me who said, look, I want to be in charge of my destiny. I don't want to, so then I won't raise capital. So then I will stay small, even though I know I can employ 600,000 people, but I won't raise that capital because I don't want to be diluted to six or 8%. And if I'm diluted to six or 8%, I'll spend all my time answering investor questions and doing that. This, that's the second invent. I think if, if, if corporate law, they, if there is already the concept recognized and there's been some, an excellent paper written by SEBI on this subject and um, this concept is already recognized. But I think if the government can really focus on this, this will be one. Then the third great innovation in company law is something called the protected cell or the protected series company. And this is something in which shareholders and investors, entrepreneurs and investors can own shares of a company, share in the liability, but the investors have a lot of freedom to leave the company when they want to. So they are not bound into the normal corporate structure. So my sense is that let us make it as easy because we have the raw material that no other country has, which is amazing entrepreneurs. I have seen on the level, and you know the Shraddha better than anybody else. I mean, if I know 100 entrepreneurs, you know 1,000. And you've seen the magic that they create every day, the way they employ, the way they convert capital, create jobs, create opportunities. So my sense is that if, if you make these changes and capital flows in, you know, the thing about capital is that there's tons of it in the world today because most of the Western governments have opened the liquidity tabs. And so basically they're printing money and there's lots and lots of money available to come into India to create jobs and opportunities. So, yeah, you know, very valid point, uh, William. And if I look at the world context right now, and if I may say so right now with, you know, the China US trade war, and now it gets even more accentuated like Manish Sabarwal, you were quoting here in money matters. He said that India, uh, for whatever one may agree or disagree, but everyone will have to agree that India remains the largest, the biggest frontier, the last frontier of the largest consumer base in the world. And then investors will have to look at India. And what you are saying is that if we have these changes, tweaks done in our corporate law, then it becomes like the growing ground. It's not like investors have to look at it, but if you also thrive in India and make money in India. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, William, I also wanted to ask you in terms of, and this is for everyone's benefit and, and for mine as an entrepreneur, I also want to understand because I think you, you know, we, it's easy for us to look at Fab India and say, oh, wow, Fab India is standing, Fab India is growing, Fab India is doing very well. But, you know, when you start in 1960s and to now, co consistently being there and doing the right thing. I want to understand, get inside your brain and understand how do you take decisions? How have you processed decisions? How have you chosen to do one thing vis-a-vis -vis the four or five different interesting options that would come your way? How have you been able to consistently perform, if I may say so? I think consistent performance is a, is a result of, of three things. I mean, mm -hmm. one is if you want to consistently deliver results, um, you need to get sort of three really big things right. One is 
you really need to have a purpose to your business. You need to have a passion and a purpose to your business. The second thing you need to get right is you, you need to constantly look at the long term. Um, I remember Nandan once gave me advice. He said, keep, you know, one eye on the short and midterm, but keep your main focus on the long term. And it was, I think, one of the best pieces of advice I got. And, you know, uh, because he says the, as a business, if you have understood the long term and you focused on the long term, your quality of decision making will change. And, and I can tell you that, that as soon as you're focused on the long term, the quality of decision making changes. And the third part of it is you have to have rigorous systems and you have to have rigorous systems that build trust because trust is the one thing that if I'm to criticize entrepreneurs, and I know this is not a show to criticize entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. is they tend to take a lot of shortcuts. And I think you're smiling, so you have some experience of this as well. But they tend to take a lot of shortcuts. And, uh, and trust is one thing that, you know, um, my grandfather told me this. He says, you know, trust is something that takes a century to build and an hour to destroy. Mm. Um, and I think that if you can get these three things, you know, purpose, passion, you know, the constant focus on the long term, and that is the 10-year span or the five-year span, and the third thing is to you know, build trust in everything you do. Now, one of the things I think it's very hard for entrepreneurs, especially when you take investor money, is that there's a relentless focus on the short term. Yeah. So you have sometimes just close your ears to that noise all the time, especially if companies are listed. Because if companies are listed, there's a quarter on quarter cycle. And you really have to shut your ears to that and say, listen, I am going to shut my ears and look at the long term. I know I have to speak to analysts. I know I have to give them all this gyan and do all this, but keep that eye focused on the long term. This is something that I've really learned. Yeah. And William, uh, you know, uh, on behalf of all the entrepreneurs who are in the handicraft, who are in, uh, you know, working with rural artisans, who are building marketplaces, opportunities and brands in this space, because uh, they all they all look up to you and they lo all look up to Fab India. What would be your advice? And do you see that India can have interesting brands in uh, uh, rural handicraft, rural uh, you know, in apparels, because we've not seen many homegrown brands, uh, vertical brands. Do you see that as an opportunity and what would be your advice to them? So I think that um, my advice to them would be to pick an area of specialization where you really know it well. I'll, I'll give you some, you know, there are some fantastic brands that have really like there's a brand that does amazing work with Indigo. There's another brand that does amazing work with Fusion Garments. So pick your niche and play in it. Last, before I let you go, and, and I know you are a man who reads a lot, does meditation, yoga, uh, and, and you know, he's always in a good mood. You're a happy guy. <laughs> in, and, but this has been a tough, this has been a tough last two months for everyone across the world for all of us and especially I would say for entrepreneurs like of course I shouldn't say especially but we look at entrepreneurs so we've been very closely interacting uh, with them and then it has been tough I want to ask if I can take something from your book uh, from your last two months what have you done uh, to be in a good mental shape because your stores have been shut across the country what have you done to keep the mojo going and then if we could look at and learn on uh, some of the things that you've done from some of the things that you've done. I think this is a time to 
spend with your families. And this is a time to connect with the people you care about. I think that, you know, every day I try to spend an hour and a half or two calling people I really care about and just checking in with them. A lot of my friends are alone right now for various reasons. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's very important to do, just hearing their voices, um, connecting with them. I think as an entrepreneur, I think it's important to use this period to self-reflect. So every day I try to take two or three hours out to just to think about what the future is going to look like and, you know, how to, you know, just think broadly and step back because, you know, when you go into something, you lose the perspective. So you step back, you walk back and then you get a better view and then you go back in. I think that's very important. My best friend, um, other than my family, has been my love of reading. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm reading a great book. It's right here on my desk. I think it's a fantastic book. Oh, from Gutenberg to Google. I'm rereading it. I'm rereading it because, um, you know, and I, and I realize that I learn a lot from my kids right now. I mean, they, they're teaching me about how to be a digital native, um, which I'm not. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's a time... We should treat this time as a gift, Shraddha. Yeah, very, very, uh, very priceless advice, I would say, uh, William. Uh, I, I said that was the last question, but one before we go. Retail, future of retail. What would define the future of retail in our country, if I may say so? I think they uh, stand for something, specialize in something, and then, you know, spend half your time thinking about how you can make your customers' lives better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, William, for taking out time. You know, we had mentioned it and there are a lot of retail entrepreneurs who are here, who are watching this uh, as you speak. And this has been very valuable. And I also want to ask on behalf of all the entrepreneurs that if people want to reach out to you and if there are specifically questions that they want to uh, send to you, is there someone in your office that... Uh, uh, they can reach out to yes do you want to put that uh, do, do you want to put that email uh, out in your network or how do you want to do it yeah yeah if you have an email then I would love to put it out thank you so much to all participants and to everyone who will watch the video we'll put it in the video but this is helpful thank you so much William for taking out time I know how busy you are but thanks for talking to us thank you thanks Radha take care stay safe